Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 25 in our series for 2021, and today's date is Friday, July the 23rd. First, I'll be talking to tech guru Mick Esber, who created the new and innovative app, Be Happy, which rates, classifies and blocks negative, fake, biased, hate, violent and explicit content on social media using best-in-class technology. It has been designed to deliver easy-to-use tools for users to manage what they send and receive. It's completely ad-free and does not sell personal data to third parties. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about Australia's latest jobs figures. But now let's talk to Mick Esber. Mick, tell us about this safe social media platform that you're launching. Yeah, I, I guess the best place to start is of all stories is at the beginning. So at, was it March last year? with COVID and the first lockdowns happening, I was talking to my sisters and, and one works as a teacher and the other works with um, special needs people. And, and you know, one of them just wanted to talk about it and was jumping on all the different social media things. And another one, you know, the, the one that was with uh, special needs people at the front line just was overloaded and had to kind of drop out of the conversation with us because of all the kind of toxic social media content going around. They had like a comment and they were trolled and all this kind of stuff really impacted my sisters. So I kind of saw firsthand that, you know, and it made me reflect and talk to my other sister who we, we thought were a bit more resilient that actually it did affect us as well, you know, and our, the way that we interacted with each other and, and probably our own and mental health. So, you know, and I kind of thought about, it, well, is there is there a kind of safe social media platform that isn't toxic, that doesn't kind of reward negative or bad behaviour? And, and I kind of wrecked my brain and kind of couldn't find one. So being a, a tech, I was like, well, I could build that. <laughs> so began the journey and, and, you know, put together a lot of the AI tools and things behind, behind it, which essentially is using Google's Jigsaw program, which is basically founded for cleaning up a toxic internet and, and helping moderate and, and curate conversations. And, and so what it ended up becoming, Be Happy was born as 
basically ourselves as a broadcaster, you know, is reshape the business model as a broadcaster that is a G-rated broadcaster. And we'll follow those rules, which are pretty consistent globally about G-rated content. We'll use AI primarily to control it. And then we'll have humans behind it, which is a very important part to, to manage the process. So the machines aren't on their own. There's there'll be a, a process to, to moderate and adjust it. And that was kind of what it is. And on Monday, we launched a Kickstarter campaign because we've, we've got a beta and we're pretty close. We just need basically support to get to that last, that last leg. So that's what we're doing right now. Does it work as an app? Is it- yes. So it's an iOS and Android app. Okay, so that can fit on any phone. Exactly. It's exactly focused on doing that, um, and and we're looking at having that released in September. So uh, and so, how does it actually work? How does it actually moderate? Yeah, uh, so, insulting, <laughs> trolling <laughs> comments. Yeah. So what happens is, well, see, the, the, I guess that the you know the logic of it is freedom of speech isn't freedom of reach. So what what was kind of a, a guiding principle of this, and so what we do is I don't. We don't block or delete your message. It just goes into like a private or draft area that I could send to you, for example, but I can't send publicly. So basically, if it's something that isn't G-rated, if it isn't something that a child or, you, you, as I would say, that I could say to my kids or say to my mother, then it probably isn't going to fly. And that basically is the G-rated kind of label. And how we do that is we use uh, a range of AI tools um, primarily from Google and stuff or based on Google and some outsourced ones that that do that and curate that in the background. It detect If you say something offensive, it will detect that. It will put it into drafts. If you disagree with that, you can then go to our moderators and say, hey, I think this is wrong. And then we can obviously work with that to see if that's incorrect and then improve the model. And that's basically how it is, is that we're going to police that environment to make sure that it's a G-rated space okay. and enforce that. Just say I'm on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and I get this offensive comment. What happens to it? It goes into a draft for me to read. So, so within at the moment, we'd like to get to the place where I can we can do this with other with other social media products. But within our product, if you send within our app, if you send a negative message, it will then go into like a drafts area which you can send to you through instant message, which is inside the app, I can send to you. So the point is, oh, right. is, is, is if, if it's a personal conversation, we're not going to censor that. But if it's a public conversation, which is, which is designed to be general for everybody, it's a public place. It's a lot more, I use the example of being at, at the football or at, at a park is there's certain language. In the old days when I used to go to the football, if you spoke out of turn, there were women with umbrellas, old women with umbrellas that would hit you. That was <laughs> to, to, to manage your language. You know, so, you know, I think we've always had that moderation. And unfortunately, in the internet, we don't have that moderation in, in a digital sense. And that's what it's supposed to do. But it doesn't stop your freedom of speech. So I can still send that to, to people I know. They can then make the decision of, hey, you know, I don't like you anymore, Leon. I don't want to talk to you because what you're saying is offensive and, and I can block you. And that's basically how the app works. So you send it as a draft, as a draft message. 
Yeah, well, it, it basically you post it to the world and basically our AI will say, is this G-rated or not? If it is, then it becomes public to everybody. If it's not, it basically says that this was basically inappropriate content for, um, for, for, for the platform and that from there you could then send that into your instant messages if you wanted to to other people. It doesn't preclude you from doing that because we don't curate instant messages or direct messaging. It's just that public space. So you're not actually um, doing anything about freedom of speech? No, we're not deleting any uh, people's, people's comments or, or their statements. Or Exactly. Freedom of speech is really important, but there's a difference between freedom of speech and freedom of reach, right? If you've got something offensive to say, should I give you like a megaphone to tell the whole world? If it's a lie, if it's offensive, if it's sexist, right? If it's anti-Semitic, should these things be allowed for you to publicly say them? Not, not in if it's a G-rated. If, if we're essentially like a G-rated uh, environment, then which we've stipulated in there, that's what will then do, people then have that expectation. And what's the app called? The app's called Be Happy. Be so, happy. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's exactly. It's it's spelled. A lot of people calling it Bappy because it's spelled B H A P I. So depending on how you phonetically speak, like for me, I, it was automatically Be Happy, but I get Bappy as well. But that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> okay. So tell us about this Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. So we we started literally yesterday, um, and we've 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 got. A, a few legs into it. We go until the end of the month. So, so yesterday meaning the first of July. Correct. So, with, with all of July, we're pushing this out there, going out to people to basically pledge to support us to, to launch in September. For us, what this is really about, and talking to you was a big part of this, is just re, you know we're in lockdown and this COVID is very real, and and I think what it is is we're using social media more and more. Uh, the share price of, you know, Facebook is now a trillion dollar company and it, by making money off of us, of this, and it shouldn't be allowed to profit from hate. It shouldn't be allowed to, to, to profit from manipulating people. So I think this is a, a perfect time where people can have that, that, that living room revolution or kitchen revolution that we have of saying this is, this is not good enough. And I hope that, I, you know, that I can help be not the answer, but part of the answer to make to make social media safer, to make people less anxious and people not feel as much anxiety as they do now. Um, that's that's the goal. <laughs> so, so I mean, how how big a problem has that has that uh, uh, anti-social stuff become on social? Oh, media? yeah, it's 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 lots of stats. We've done some in Australia too, and they're very similar to the US. About 60%, over 60% of people have been harassed on social media. Um, over 90% feel not safe using social media. They know it's toxic. Everyone knows it's toxic, but we still use it. And there's an increasing number of people that are now willing to pay for it in between about 50% plus to 60% of people, depending on where you are and what demo, are willing to pay to have to not be basically have this toxic content, to have not have ads, to be manipulated by third parties, all those things together start to make a compelling argument that people are willing to actually pay for this because that's the unfortunate thing is when the product's free, the product's you. And 
And I think people are starting to realise that more and more as they get impacted by it, unfortunately. They're learning by, you know, being harassed, bullied. Just stories I've heard amazing of just um, discussion work or professional discussion groups that have pictures of people, you know, guys taking pictures of themselves and posting it in public forums. You know, it's just where it was like a professional discussion and just these crazy things happen. And I just, it's, I've seen it, it's shocking. All the stories that you hear out there are so true. Everybody has, has, has a story to tell about this. There was just, I think it was about a month ago, Prince Harry and Prince William led globally a day of unplugging from social media about toxic social media. So, you know, it's something that I, I think we know, we know about. And how much are you looking to raise with Kickstarter? For this is fifty thousand. It's basically it's it's yeah. So it's 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 a reasonable amount. It's not small, but it's it's something that we we think that we can do with everybody to help and chip in and you know check out our, our Kickstarter page, which is Kickstarter.behappy. So b h a p i io. Check it out. Um, give us feedback. Um, share with other. The, the greatest thing people can do is talk about this, share this with other people, post things into social media about demanding change and demanding a, a, a safe uh, a safe place and a, a non-toxic internet and social media. Well, Mick, good luck to you and we'll be watching it very closely. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leon. You've been great. And now let's talk to Indeed economist Callum Pickering. Okay, well... Callum, unemployment has dropped to 4.9%, which is the lowest, I think, since 2010. What's your view about that? Yeah, it's a really interesting jobs report, actually. Obviously, the headline figure of the unemployment rate dropping to 4.9% is great. That's what we're, we're looking for. We're trying to drive the unemployment rate down into that, that low falls region. But when we look a little bit below the surface, we can definitely see the impact that the pandemic's having on the Australian labour market right now, particularly in Victoria. And so... From that regard, this was a, a jobs report that was a little bit sort of two steps forward, one step back, um, in that there is a lot to be happy about, but there's also some underlying concerns. Well, one of the big concerns was uh, a drop in the hours worked, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, hours worked has been the area where we see the impact of, of COVID and the pandemic most clearly in the jobs figures. So hours worked fell by 1.8% nationwide in, in June. Um, and that was mostly driven by an 8.5% decline in hours worked across Victoria. Now, Victoria was in lockdown for most of, of June to some degree, and so naturally that's having an impact on the ability of Victorians to actively work. Um, and we'd expect this interruption to hours work to continue both July and, and August, um, given what um, New South Wales and now Victoria are currently going through. So it is likely that hours worked will be, remain quite weak over the next few months. And that uh, is going to create a lot of uncertainty and undermine any progress, wouldn't it? Well, that's right. Um, most of the lockdowns that we've experienced uh, this year have been of the short and sharp variety, and they haven't really had much of an impact on the, the overall economy. The Victorian lockdown was obviously very different. So too has been this latest New South Wales lockdown. Now, any time you hit the two biggest states, you're likely to have a pretty big economic impact, and that's what we're going to see over the next few months. And the simple fact is that with all these lockdowns that continue to occur, it is increasing uncertainty across the economy. 
you know, things look good, but then suddenly we're, we're back in lockdown. And so that's making things difficult for, for businesses across the country. But it is pleasing overall that while these lockdowns are occurring, the economy does still seem to be heading in the right direction. And so we can be reasonably confident that if we get through these latest lockdowns um, and we can continue to contain the spread of COVID, that the economy is going to strengthen over the remainder of this year. Nonetheless, I mean, uh, you're talking about, uh, I mean, 8.5% in Victoria, and that was the lockdown in June over just seven days. And in Sydney, this is, this is going to be happening over several, several weeks. Yeah, that's right. And it will impact um, hours worked and, and other employment measures in for both uh, July and likely August and as well. I mean, we, we don't really have a, a good idea about how long this will last in, in Sydney. They're obviously going to come back from a, a pretty bad outbreak. So it, it could certainly be a, a quite prolonged um, lockdown that impacts uh, the labour market and the broader economy throughout uh, both July and August. What about employment numbers? Uh, did they go up? Yeah, so employment was up uh, 29,100 people in the month, which is a, a pretty good outcome. Um, it's not quite the sort of very large numbers we've been seeing uh, throughout much of, of 2021, but it's, it's certainly not a, not a bad outcome. There was a fair bit of variance, though, across the country. So employment in both New South Wales and Victoria fell by 9,200. And so the growth was being driven by the other, the other states. Growth overall was... It was full-time, mostly full-time. It was um, full-time employment was up 51,600 people, whereas uh, part-time employment fell 22,500 people. And the decline in part-time employment likely reflects some of that impact from um, lockdown because, as we know from previous lockdowns, it's typically part-time workers that sort of feel the burden of that. Uh, we really don't know uh, how it's going to pl- play out until we see where we're going with our vaccine rollout. Well, that, that's the key, obviously. If we can make a lot of progress with regards to the vaccine rollout, then it likely reduces the the likelihood of these lockdowns. And if we do have lockdowns, it likely makes them shorter and, and sharper with a, a reduced economic impact. Um, so really, from an uncertainty standpoint, we really need to get a, on top of the, the vaccine rollout. And that's going to put our recovery in a, in a much better position going forward. OK, but uh, I mean, the issue is, uh, I mean, because these are happening at a much faster than anticipated rate, wouldn't it create skill shortages? Well, this is one of the things that businesses are dealing with right now. So the unemployment rate has come down much faster than anticipated. Uh, the Reserve Bank of, of Australia thought we'd be at around a 5% unemployment rate by the end of the year. We're currently at a 4.9% rate, and it looks like it's going to decline further over the remainder of the year. And what happens when the unemployment rate gets this low is that skill shortages begin to emerge, um, and they become broader as the unemployment rate declines. So it is likely that a number of businesses are going to find recruitment more difficult over the second half of this year than they've found over the past decade or so. And if that happens, then it is likely we are going to see a little bit more uh, wage competition amongst employers, both to attract new staff as well as to retain existing staff, which could prompt uh, higher wage growth. So that's one of the, the dynamics that we're closely watching right now. How much of an impact will this declining unemployment rate have on, on wage growth? That will feed into inflation figures, won't it? That's the way it's meant to work. Yeah, if we can get the unemployment rate down low, the theory is that wage growth will increase quite sharply back towards that 3% uh, rate, maybe even a little bit higher. And if that occurs, then inflation is likely to head back to the 2 to 3% uh, target that the Reserve Bank has. 
I mean, that's basically what the, the Reserve Bank is, is looking for right now. We've obviously seen the first step in that process. The unemployment rate is, is declining. It looks like it'll decline further. We haven't yet seen any pickup in, in wages, though that isn't unsur- unsur- unsurprising because normally it, it takes some time for a decline in unemployment to then uh, transition into higher wages. But that's going to occur. We'd expect that to to that process to begin sometime later this year. And if we do see that higher wage growth, then we'd expect that to then feed into inflation as well. Right, okay. I mean, what's interesting with the with the employment growth is what impact has closed borders had on this? Because we're, we're not getting any people coming in from overseas. So they're obviously employing locals. Yeah, that's it's certainly been an interesting dynamic, that. I mean, effectively, Australia's population... Has, has stalled because of these closed borders. There's, there's very little inflow or increase in the, in the population, which is very different from what things were before the pandemic. And it has likely contributed to a much uh, faster decline in the unemployment rate um, than would have occurred had borders been open. At the same time, we've seen this almost tsunami of fiscal stimulus that is sort of flowing around the economy right now due to JobKeeper and, and JobSeeker and other policies as, as well. So we've seen this uh, sharp increase in, in the demand for workers as well. So we've got both those forces um, on both the supply and, and demand side of the labour market that is really driving the unemployment rate much lower um, than it otherwise would have been. Right, and of course we don't have job, job JobKeeper anymore. No, we don't. So some of those... Um, the policies that have supported the economy have started to um, diminish their economic impact. But we know that, um, you know, household savings are, are very high. We know that there are other projects that are going on as well. So the level of fiscal stimulus across the economy right now is still very high by normal standards. It's just lower than it was earlier in the pandemic. And as a result of that, we are seeing this uh, increased demand for, for workers and that's one of the reasons why employment growth has been so strong throughout the course of, of 2021 and is, is one of the contributing reasons why the unemployment rate has declined so quickly. So uh, where do you expect empl- the jobs figures will go in the future from now? I mean, we're down to 4.9. Where do you see it going? Yeah, so the next couple of months are obviously going to be highly uncertain. There's going to be a lot of volatility due to these lockdowns in both uh, Victoria and New South Wales. But I, I think the, the outlook is fairly positive. For the labour market, like I said, there's still a lot of fiscal stimulus out there. Borders are still closed. That's likely to drive the unemployment rate much lower than it currently is. I certainly wouldn't be surprised if the unemployment rate is down in the low fours by the end of this year. And hopefully that'll be enough to trigger a little bit of higher wage growth as as well. And uh, that will be interesting from the Reserve Bank point of view. I mean, uh, they're saying not till 2024, but uh, economists are talking about 2023. What's your view about that? Yeah, most of the risks for monetary policy seem to be on the upside here. I think the Reserve Bank will upgrade their um, forecasts, both with regards to growth and, and the unemployment rate, um, when they release their next forecasts in August. I think that but, but right now what they want to see is that higher inflation. So they want to see higher wage growth be achieved and they want to see that feed into inflation. And until they actually see that occur, they're not going to change rates. Now, right now, they don't think that's going to happen until 2024. Other economists, including myself, think that that's going to happen a little bit earlier than anticipated based on the fact that the recovery thus far has exceeded all expectations. But we're probably talking about 16 months' time till we see any movement with interest rates. It's certainly not going to be something that happens in the near term. 
I certainly wouldn't be worried about monetary policy interest rates increasing in the next 12 months, for example. It's going to take some time for that higher wage growth to be achieved, even if the unemployment rate does get down into that low fours region. And it's going to take some time for that wage growth to transition into higher inflation. So we, we still have a long way to go. Um, and obviously, we're, we're still dealing with the pandemic. We're still dealing with the uncertainty that comes with that pandemic. And so, you know, it's not going to be smooth sailing the whole way. Um, but we do continue to head in, in the right direction. And I'm fairly optimistic that we will see that higher wage growth achieved um, at some point next year, perhaps um, in, in 2023. Well, Callum, we'll be watching that very closely. And thank you very much for your time. And thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, the threat of the Delta coronavirus variant this week hit global equity markets, handing European bosses their worst sessions of the year. Commodity prices also fell and investors headed for the safe haven of government bonds. It helped to push the yield on the 10-year Treasury note to its lowest yield in six months, extending a shift in investor sentiment as fears over runaway inflation have given way to creeping concerns over the durability of US growth, compounded by the spread of the Delta variant. This is the market's realisation that we're moving from a clear V-shaped recovery into something a lot more uncertain, said Mohamed Kazmi, a portfolio manager at Union Bancaire Privé. The hope was that vaccines would provide us with the end game. Now investors are looking at the UK and there's a bit of fear with regards to reopening so aggressively when cases are still so high. The pullback in stocks, which came after months of steady gains in markets around the world, also reflected concerns that economic growth generated by industries reopening from last year's shutdowns could peak just as inflation surges in Europe and the US. And Australia has joined the United States and other allies in accusing China of engaging in malicious cyber activities, including a massive global attack on the Microsoft Exchange software that compromised tens of thousands of computers earlier this year. The Microsoft Exchange hack was first identified in January and was rapidly attributed to Chinese cyber spies by private sector groups, but it has taken until now for Australia and like-minded countries to publicly attribute the cyber attack to Beijing. And with coronavirus outbreaks plunging more than half of Australia into lockdown, sparking calls for more federal support, the Morrison government is resisting pressures to reinstate JobKeeper wage subsidies, with at least 13.5 million people under heavy restrictions across New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. Instead, People who lose work in designated hotspots can access weekly payments of between $375 and $600 when lockdowns extend beyond seven days. And consumer confidence recorded its sharpest single fall since the start of the coronavirus pandemic as strict lockdowns were imposed on millions of Australians following virus outbreaks in Sydney and Melbourne. The latest lockdowns are expected to hit economic growth by $10 billion in the third quarter, with many economists expecting to see nil or negative growth in the three months of September and hits to employment. Consumer spending intentions were softer compared with June last year, when people were emerged from the first national lockdown, but remained strong compared with the same time in 2019, when conditions were less volatile. Overall, consumer confidence fell 5.2%, according to the latest ANZ Roy Morgan report, as uncertainty about the highly contagious COVID-19 Delta strain played on public sentiment. Confidence in current economic conditions dropped 7.9% and spirits about future conditions lowered 4.5%, despite strong jobs data showing unemployment falling to 4.9% in June. Confidence about current financial conditions registered a slight 1.2% uptick following the announcement of government support, while the future appeared more uncertain, with confidence dropping 3.4%. 
And workers who've endured the slowest wage growth on record will never make up for the hit to their weekly pay packets caused by the coronavirus pandemic, with the Reserve Bank warning inertia could hold back incomes for years. In some of its bluntest language about wages growth, the RBA used the minutes of its July meeting to argue there were few signs of a lift in incomes beyond the level that has plagued the economy for the past half decade. Some analysts have argued that with unemployment now at 4.9% and some businesses warning of labour shortages, wages will start to grow much faster in a development that would force the RBA to lift interest rates as early as late next year. But the bank's minutes show that while there have been some signs of a lift in wages growth, this is only back to where it was before the coronavirus pandemic. And Australian companies are offering their staff half a day off to get vaccinated against COVID-19, meaning workers won't have to dip into their sick or annual leave to get the jab. Employers are telling their staff they can get half a day off work to get the vaccine. Only about 13% of Australians have been fully vaccinated to date. As more than 11 million Australians have been locked down to limit the spread of the highly infectious Delta variant in the country's two biggest cities, businesses are offering permanent employers two lots of paid leave to cover time off for both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. Companies including Domain, Prosper, Zip and Athena Home Loans have enjoyed some of the big banks in vowing they will also give casual employees paid vaccination leave or flexible options to make it easier for them to attend vaccination appointment. And restrictions in Sydney and Melbourne have reversed a rebound in employee mental wellness, which had been tracking towards pre-pandemic levels, according to Converge International. The provider of employee assistance program said data from counselling sessions with 13,000 Australian employees showed a turnaround in workers' overall mental health. From the 1,200 companies that Converge works with in Australia, employees call requesting appointments jumped 16% in the week commencing May 31, where Melbourne's fourth lockdown hit compared to the prior week. In the week following Sydney's lockdown announcement in late June, there was a 15% increase in requests. Requests for appointments remained high during the most recent school holiday period, a time when the service typically received far fewer calls as people cancelled holidays and continued working. The impact of repeated shifts to remote learning and, at the tertiary level, the job insecurity stemming from the economic impact of the dramatic decline in international students is evident in the data from Converge International. Ongoing stress increased 8%, job or time pressure was up 65.4% year-on-year, and work-life balance was also a growing issue, up 81% year-on-year. In the 1,182 training and education professionals who presented to Converge International in the second quarter of 2021, and Commonwealth Bank has led a rapid series of moves by Australia's biggest banks to support customers as strict measures to contain the Delta outbreak threatened to derail the economic recovery. Within 24 hours of the dramatic escalation of Sydney's lockdown, banks have detailed measures including free overdrafts for small businesses, targeted home loan deferrals and an extended promise not to evict customers from their homes. CBA will email customers in the Fairfield, Liverpool and Canterbury Bankstown local government areas, along with customers working in the construction and retail sectors on Monday, to brief them on relief available. This will include freezing home loan repayments for two months. Other banks are also willing to defer payments for affected customers who reach out for help. Westpac said from Monday it would offer eligible existing small business customers interest-free temporary overdrafts up to $15,000 as businesses around the country, including in the retail sectors, worry about the impact of restricted trading hours on cash flow. National Australia Bank and CBA have also offered to run staff vaccination programs in their premises, operated by the same services that deliver regular staff flu jabs. Banks will also ensure that any customers who seek deferrals for their latest lockdowns do not have their credit scores penalised, which could lift the cost of credit in the future. Banks remain confident 
that if the Melbourne and Sydney lockdowns are short and the virus can be contained, the economy will roar back to life when restrictions are eased. And Australia cannot hit net zero emissions by 2050 without a policy for the transport sector, experts say, and it must be focused on driving people to buy electric vehicles. In the first of a series of industry reports, the Grattan Institute argues strict regulations are needed to phase out petrol cars with emission standards of tightened to zero by 2035. It says a carbon price is the most economically efficient way to address emissions, but as that has been rejected by both of Australia's major political parties, sector-specific policies are needed to reduce greenhouse gases industry by industry. Grattan's report said... There are no federal government policies to reduce transport emissions at any significant scale, and a call for tax breaks on electric vehicles and swift rollout of emission standards because a national fleet takes more than 20 years to replace, and vehicles sold after that date could be in operation after 2050. And Crown Resorts should be stripped of Victoria's sole casino licence and should axe Executive Chairman Helen Coonan and Crown Melbourne CEO Xavier Walsh, counsel assisting the Royal Commission into the casino giant, as I argue. Giving his final submission to the Victorian Inquiry, Council Assisting Adrian Financio, SC, slammed Crown for grave, systemic breaches of the law and warned any path to reform would take at least two years. The hardline recommendations cast doubt over whether the investors circling Crown, casino rival The Star and US private equity group Oak Tree, will still find the company an attractive target. It also raises questions about the New South Wales casino regulator's timeline to open Crown's Barangaroo site in Sydney this year. Chief watchdog Philip Crawford unwilling to put a date on its licence approval. Mr Financio said the Crown Melbourne was not a suitable licensee when the New South Wales Bergen Inquiry found the James Packard Group unfit to open its Barangaroo casino in February and that it remained unsuitable and would be for some time. And reports of alleged sexual assault have been made by employers and contractors of BHP, FMG and Newcrest. Rio Tinto says it has also had reports of sexual assault and harassment. The Senate's Education and Employment Legislation Committee is examining these allegations as part of a broader inquiry into the Sex Discrimination Respect at Work Amendment Bill 2021. The bill aims to enact legislative changes born out of Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins' 2020 Respect at Work report. The report found the rate of sexual harassment in the Australian mining industry was 40%, 11% higher than the average across all industries. And poorly handled sexual harassment complaints can degrade and devalue not only the survivors who report it, but the entire company's global workforce and its underlying market value, according to former AMP Capital Director Julia Slikowski. Ms Slikowski who was forced to bring in external lawyers to settle a sexual harassment complaint lodged against her former boss, Bo Parari, in 2017, after AMP asked her to continue to work under the former AMP Capital Chief Executive, has called on companies and investors to conduct themselves within the moral and ethical norms of their customer base, or rightly risk extinction. In an address presented to the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors Conference on Wednesday, Ms Slutkowski warned the burden and consequences of reporting sexual harassment continue to fall on those who lodge complaints. And super funds have delivered their second strongest year since compulsory superannuation was introduced, with the median growth fund returning 18% in the 2021 financial year, according to research house Chant West. The only better run was 1996-97, when the median growth fund, the most popular super investment option, returned 19.4%. But the also popular balanced investment option saw some strong performers, with fellow research house super ratings research showing that top 20 performers in the category each returned more than 18% over the same period. 
According to Chant West, the top performing growth fund was Mine Super, an industry fund for coal mine workers that returned 22.6%. But the bottom end of the range still performed strongly, Chant West said, with the worst performing fund in the category returning 13%. Super Ratings said the strongest performing balanced fund was the Qantas Super Gateway Growth Fund, which qualifies as a balanced option due to its more conservative asset allocation. It returned 22%, boosting its average 10-year return to 8.1%. Due to methodology differences, Chant West counted Australian Super's balance fund as a growth fund, while Super Ratings considers it a balance fund, but both researchers agreed it was the strongest overall performer over the past decade, with an average 19.7% return. And JB Hi-Fi expects full-year net profits to soar more than 60% and sales to rise more than 12%, despite a weak June quarter, when compared with 30% plus sales growth in the consumer electronics retailer's core business in the same period last year. Releasing unaltered results for the 12 months ended June 30, JB Hi-Fi said it expected net profit to rise 67.4% to $506.1 million and earnings before interest and tax decline 53.8%, to $743.2 million. Group sales were expected to increase 12.6% to $8.9 billion, with online sales up 78.1% to $1.1 billion, reaching 11.9% of total sales. JB Hi-Fi and its appliance business, The Good Guys, have been big beneficiaries of redirection in consumer spending from international and domestic travel, the shift to working from home, and strong retail spending propped up by wage subsidies and record low interest rates. And Afterpay will launch a new banking app for its 3 million-plus Australian users in October as the payments juggernaut attempts to steal young customers from the major banks by creating a more engaging experience around savings. Afterpay said its own employees will begin testing the new app to be called Money from Tuesday and it has obtained an Australian Financial Services licence from ASIC allowing it to distribute deposit funds and debit cards and provide general financial product advice. Money will target millennial and Generation Z female customers who flock to Afterpay's payments app for online shopping at fashion retailers and now will be offered a separate app for budgeting and saving. And a mystery Sydney-based wine collector has splashed out more than $142,000 for a rare bottle of Penfolds Grange, smashing the record price for a single bottle of Australian wine. The bottle of 1951 Grange, part of a first-ever vintage of the iconic wine, sold via an online auction on Sunday night for close to $40,000 more than the previous record price of $103,000 paid in July last year. It was signed by pioneering winemaker Max Schubert, the creator of Australia's most iconic wine. The $142,131 sale price, which includes a 16.5% buyer's premium and GST, was also much higher than the $120,000 the bottle was expected to sell for when bids opened two weeks ago. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Dr. Ted Dunstone, MD, founder of Biometrics and Bixer Lab, one of only two labs in the world accredited for international biometric identity standards and world-renowned biometric and identity expert, talking about what is actually a workable vaccine passport certificate that will be recognised internationally. And I'll be talking to economist Saul Leslake about the impact of the lockdowns on the economy. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.